In this episode of the podcast, I spoke with Hafiz from the Roommates podcast, and he explained to me his mission, a mission to help men, a mission to build a community to support men so that men can be on their purpose. And we had an amazing discussion about faith and just how important it can be to a person. Two, one. Hi, welcome to the David Watson podcast, and thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. No problem, man. Thank you so much for having me. And there's, there's actually, I have a ton of questions because I've been following you and Chris on the Roommates podcast for a couple of years now, and it's the growth that has kind of happened, and the way that you've navigated that kind of red pill. That's not quite for me. We have our own values. Has has been absolutely fascinating, and. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've really enjoyed listening to you and is you're very honest about some of the things you've done in the past. And yeah. one of the things I remember you talking about, and I've heard you tell this story a couple of times, but it's not the story that I'm interested in as such, but it's you jumped state and moved to somewhere. We're staying on a friend's house because you were chasing after a girl. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that story a couple of times, but in one of those stories, you were talking about a book where you write things down. And is, is it like a book of ideas or a book of values or? Yeah, yeah, yes. What, what's that about? What, what's, what, what is that? Yeah, so to me, I've always been an individual who's been thinking a lot about a lot of topics that I talk about today. A lot of the, the, the genesis of my ideas began when I was 19, 20, 21 years old. And at that time, um, YouTube was a new, newer kind of platform and most people were not using it let alone making money from it and i always had the the idea that videos needed to be like high production and at that time it was just very expensive to make videos and so i would i would want to share my ideas but i didn't have any um, vehicles to share it from so i would just write my ideas down and so for the past 12 years of my life, I've just been using different notebooks like books like this right here. And I just be different ideas and, and thoughts and theories and principles. I would always write them down in these different books. Um, and, and that's what I've been doing for, for, you know, the past decade of my life. And how has that evolved? Well, I think to me, it, it has and it hasn't, right? On one end, it has evolved because obviously the ideas become more nuanced. The ideas get built upon a little bit better. Um, but it hasn't evolved because a lot of the ideas that I believe now are similar ideas I, I believed years ago. A lot of the principles that I say today were things I was, you know, kicking around a decade ago, but nobody would listen to me talk back then. And so... It's <laughs> so changed the, now. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those ideas have evolved, but a lot of that, those ideas are also the same. Where did these kind of principles and values come from? No, that's a great question. So at 19 years old, I became a Christian. And that was a true, true supernatural experience. I know some people who are not religious will never get this concept. 
and I and I and I explained it to the liking of how do you explain love to someone who has neither experienced love or believes in love? Like there's certain metaphysical concepts that you cannot explain with human words. So I think God is very similar. I think when people don't believe in God they, and they want a rational explanation, there's no rational explanation a finite being can give for what is infinite. There's none. It's, it's, it's irrational just by definition. And so to me, what happened when I was 19 years old was a real transformation that I only people who know me understand it the best and people who know me today are seeing the, 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 the end results of it. But it really shaped, it changed my brain, it just changed my brain chemistry, it changed my brain, the way I looked at life, the way I viewed humanity. It, it created a lot of different paradigms, that, which created the foundation to a lot of my ideas today. And so 19 years old, that's when everything switched. And then the genesis of, of those ideas has brought me to where I am today. That's interesting because I, I was, my mum is, uh, is, is Irish. So my upbringing was actually as an Irish Catholic, as I call it. Um, um, but, but I'm not somebody that goes to church. And there was a period of time where I would describe it as losing my faith. And a friend of mine about 20 years ago, he just said very simply to me that when people have faith in their heart, he said, when you feel it in your heart, he says, you'll never find a period of your life where you feel alone. And that, I don't know why there was just that somehow, probably because I was feeling very lonely at that point in my life. And at that point, I then started to look around me and rediscover faith in something. And I, I don't have the words to articulate it, to apologize to anyone who's listening. It's just there's, I have faith in something that's bigger than me. Mm. And whenever I'm feeling down, depressed or lonely I, I realize that's what's missing from my life and i just look for it in all the things that i find beautiful in the world that's awesome yeah and, and you know and that's everything from somebody just having joy playing with their dog or a child laughing or just blossom you know it, it's just look for the miracles that are in just everyday life and then i feel that connection again that's awesome so what was happening then before faith, before Christianity? I mean, I was a typical 8-year-old, 19-year-old guy just trying to figure life out. I was playing college football at that time. Recently transferred to Troy University, Division One College in, 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 in Troy, Alabama, which is a little bit south of Montgomery for those that are familiar with American geography. And so, yeah, I think to me there was just a, a regular mundane living of life. And I think to me the difference between – my faith journey and a lot of people's faith journey, I wasn't necessarily at rock bottom at that point in my life. I was actually doing pretty well. I was relatively happy. So I wasn't like I was looking for something or missing anything. I really wasn't. I was good. And so that's where I think my faith is a bit different because it, 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 it transcended from a place of happiness versus yeah. a place of misery. So it's really easy to be down and cling to anything when you're down, but it's very hard to change your, your worldview when you're so high up. Um, and so I think to me, that created a unique experience, which led to, you know, the person I am today. Would you say then that since you were sort of 18, 19, and, and you reconnected or found that connection, would you say that it's changed or matured in any way since then? A hundred percent. I think, um, I think to me, I was explaining this concept to men because I think a lot of men 
feel like religion and faith is for women and children. So it's like Pastor Mark Driscoll would always say zero to 18, you go to church because mom wants you to go. 35 plus you go because your wife makes you go. But deep down inside, in your happiest moments from 18 to 35, you never go. Because yeah. it's, it's irrelevant. And what I've realized is that a lot of men have, a, have the wrong view of, of, of worshiping, connecting, walking with God. So there's this concept that is in modern vernacular about having a, a relationship with God. And so that's like the most, most common words being thrown around for those in religious communities, especially in the Western church. And I realized that while there's nothing wrong with that concept per se, it's, it's really misguided for men. And what I mean by that is that when you think about a relationship, you think about, okay, spending time with somebody, you know, cuddling, you know, dates, roses, flowers. Like you think about a lot of the more feminine parts of relationships. And I think for a lot of men, it's just like, Dang, I got to do that with God. <laughs> you know what I mean? It kind of just kind of throws you off a bit. It's, it's like because so, you, you can make it sound like a chore. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of time, I like even the idea of like marriage is like the wife is a ball and chain. My girlfriend is a ball and chain. You know, the old lady is like there's a it's like a connotation of like restriction and forced obedience through forced labor, right? Yeah. And so what I realized is that. That's one of the challenges that guys face. So they, so they see, okay, relationship with God means singing songs to him at church. It means reading books about him. It means talking to him late at night and him talking to me. Like, and there's nothing wrong with all those things, but for a lot of guys that throws them off because it's not the primary way they interact with society. And so what I, when I looked, up the, looked in the scriptures, what I found is that a lot of men worship God, not through the things I described primarily, which is considered passive worship, singing, reading books, talking, being talked back to, but men worship God through active worship and active worship is pursuing your purpose. So you look at the story of Noah, whether you are a literal interpretation Bible person or not, but Noah worshiped God by building an ark. David worshiped God by slaying Goliath. You know, like, like there, there was, Things that these individuals did, Abraham worshiped God by leaving his father's house and traveling to Canaan. Like there was a pursuit of purpose that led to the worship of God. And so as a man, that changes your mindset because you realize that you're not worshiping God just by sitting down and singing songs. No, you're worshiping God when you as a man are pursuing your purpose. Your very purpose is your worship, your, your devotion, your walk with God. And, and to me, that mindset shift, I believe, is truly revolutionary to men because it, it, it keeps them in constant connection to God because that is what they're doing. An eagle worships God by flying. A shark worships God by swimming. You worship God by doing what you're called to do. And I feel like that really helps integrate God to every aspect of your life because he's like a king who has equipped his greatest general to conquer the neighboring village. 
So you always are going back to the king for support, for guidance, for resources, for, 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 you know, for tactics, you know, for um, backup. Like you're always, you need him, right? You, you have this great king, you, you have this Leonidas, you have this Alexander the Great, you have this King Moctezuma, you have this, you know, King Zulu, you have this great king beside you and you're, and you're garnering the support of him to accomplish the mission at hand. So I think that shift changed how I viewed worship. And I think it changes the way men interact with God because it integrates him with every aspect of, of their lives. I really like that. That's genuinely really sort of made me stop and think because yeah, that, that that's like I was saying as um, a couple of minutes ago, I was, I was badly trying to articulate it's, it's when I stop, like I said, when I try and be something that's greater than myself is when I feel the greatest connection and that I am kind of united with everything around me. And like you're saying, it's it, when you find that purpose and you act on that purpose for, for means beyond your own self, it's there's a growth in that that expands beyond you. If you know that, yeah, that, that just wasn't the answer I was expecting. I really appreciate that. Thank you. No problem. So through the podcast that you and Chris have been doing, is there, and you've, you've talked to so many different people about so many different topics, and is there anything that's sort of stood out as a, as a learning curve? Yeah, that's a great question. I think to me, what has stood out the most is the, how can I say this? The mental makeup of those that flourish and those that don't. And I think sometimes, in my personal opinion, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to those that are succeeding at the highest of levels and those who aren't. And there's this concept where, where people say, oh, they're just like you and I. You can do it too. They're no, they're, no, they're no different than you and I. I've actually found that to be a lie. The most highest performing people are nothing like regular people, in my opinion. I, I, I remember I talked to Patrick Bed David about it. He disagreed with me. I talked to Jose Zuniga about this. He disagreed with me as well. But to me, there's a superhuman skill that they have. Um, and, 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 and whenever I meet people who are succeeding or not succeeding in life, it's those superhero skills that I see void are the most common traits that lead to people to be hyper successful or not. And so I think to me, it's really changed the way I viewed the ability for everybody to be a certain person that, you know, you may have learned growing up when, um, when I believe that's just far from the case. So what surprised you about it? For example, Patrick Bay David had this concept and I don't, and he, he was talking about this concept before. And this concept is based upon the ability to work at high efficiency levels. So what people don't realize is everybody works hard. Everybody yeah. does. That's the reality. People don't, people say we're all working hard. Yes, that's true. 
but for how long can you work hard for? That's the biggest separation. Everyone, everybody on their best days is a great husband, a great wife, a great mother, a great father, a great employee, a great business leader, a great politician, a great whatever. Everybody on their best days, I personally believe, are really good at what they do. But the difference is some people can do that five days a week. People can do that two days a week. Some people can do that one day a month. And so what I found with the most highly successful people is their ability to function at high efficiency levels for the longest amount of time possible. And that, to me, the superhero strength that they have that most people don't have. Most people can give you a great day four days a week. And it's very similar to sports. Yeah. When you think about the best athletes like, you know, American football, this guy named Tom Brady. I believe they said Tom Brady has not had a, a season when he's lost more than, I believe it was six games in the past 12 years. Some people, they have on years, off years, on games, off games, on weeks, off weeks, on months, off weeks. The greatest of these rarely have off weeks, occasionally have off days, but never ever have off months. And so I think that's one of the biggest things I've noticed where was a huge difference between highly successful individuals and those who are not. So it's not even about kind of routines, rituals and habits. It's they just have uh, an sort of infinite supply of energy. It's not even energy. It's, 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 it's like it's, it's a formula that's so multivariable. I can't even explain it. Like some people are in, have internal motivation. Some people, they can only be motivated. They can, they, like, for example, let's say somebody went to Tony Robbins speech. Yeah. People can use a Tony Robbins speech to be motivated for five days. People can take that same speech and be motivated for 50 days. People can take that same speech and be motivated for 500 days. And then some people don't even need that speech to be motivated. Yeah. That's the difference. Some people, they need external factors to stimulate them to get up. Some people just get up in the morning. That's common in sports, actually. When you, you look at when people talk about legends and stuff like that, the, the, the people that talk about them who played alongside them in, in any sport that I've listened to or know anything about, they always talk about that they were just always practicing, they were always training, they were always on the court, the pitch, the ring. They, they always just, Christmas Day. That, actually, when I was growing up, there was a, a decathlon athlete called Daley Thompson, and he, he won a couple of Olympics. He won the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics. And one of his big things was he turned up for training on Christmas Day. Yeah. 325, uh, 365 days a year. He just said, well, because my competitors aren't, that's why I win and they don't. Yeah. It's like, what days do you have off? He says, I don't have any off days. I train yeah. every day. You know, yeah. Birthdays, anniversaries, Christmas, my job's to train. Yeah. So, so things like that, it puts things in, into perspective about um, about things. Like, for example, I, I'll even use myself as an example. You know, I, I met a, a young man a couple of years ago who's now a, a dear friend of mine named Jose Zuniga. He's a popular YouTuber. And when I met him, he told me a story about how he became a millionaire, made his first million, I believe, at 21 or 22. And so... I, I made it, I was like, man, I'm making my goal to make a million dollars that year after hearing him share it. 
And I remember doing the math and I believe it's either about like 83 or $84,000 a month, which, which is a million dollars. So I think I did it once. And ever since then, my energy has been like this. And I went to Jose's YouTube channel because I struggle with a lot of things when it comes to YouTube. And I went back and I saw this man has been posting five videos a week for the past eight years straight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like, I, I was like, that's why he's where he's at. That's why he's where he's at. I couldn't do it for eight months straight. He can do it for eight years. And so it was just little things like that where you start to see that there's a difference and the productivity, the activity of those individuals and those who are trying to get to where they're at. So, yes, yes, it's that kind of that, I suppose, that old term saying it's that drive. Yeah. That's just. Yeah. So and then said, not, only the, the, not only the drive, it's also how you deal with punches. Okay. AKA obstacles. Some people hit, a, hit an obstacle and they, they cave in. Some people, and, and it's real-life obstacles, right? Now, I'm not trying to, jobs are lost, cancer, diseases, fires, earthquakes. There's, there's, there's real-life obstacles that negatively affect people's lives. And so, to me, the difference between those that excel and those who don't is the ones that excel, the obstacles knock them down. They don't keep them down. And yeah. some people, that's not the case. No, some people, um, like you say, it's, for some people, they when they get knocked down, it, it's it's deep, it's deep, and that some some don't have the strength or don't have the tools to to pick themselves back up. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So, <clears throat> do you find then that um, when people contact you for coaching? It, it, are there themes in there that you seem to be able to, to help men with? I say this and I believe this with all my heart. People don't realize I've, I've genuinely been on a mission to help men since 2009. Genuinely. Technically, that's not true. 2010. I'm conflating the year. 2010. Past 12 years of my life have been dedicated to it and, and I have have a whole um, Rolodex of men who can honestly say this individual dedicated his life to helping me for the past 12 years. I've, I've, I've dealt with men of all ages, males of all ages. As I tell, talk about it all the time. I, I taught at a preschool. I was a rolling teacher. I was a, I was a, I was an assistant in the second preschool. I was that I was the assistant to the main preschool teacher, but I was also what they called a rolling teacher because I was so good with all the kids. When, they, when somebody else couldn't make it, they would always move me into that classroom. So the preschool I was at was also the preschool in a daycare. So at a daycare you have, I think you have five different age groups of kids. You have the nursery, which was, Roughly one to two, I think you have four groups, one to two in the nursery, toddlers two to three, pre-pre-K three to four, and then pre-K 
four to five. So four groups of kids. So they would rotate me in all these different groups. So from one through five, I was dealing with those kids every, every week. And then I taught the after-school program at that school with all the elementary school kids. So then you go from five to about 11. Then I taught middle school. Then you go from 12 to 14. Then I would coach high school football. That's from 14 to 18. And then I would, then I worked on, um, uh, I worked at a college ministry, 18 to 22. So my life experience is unique because I have taught officially job titles, official job titles, all every age group from one to 22 years old, all males. I've seen them. And then obviously doing the roommates, you get 22 to freaking 75, right? So I believe my experience and my perspective is, is one of the most nuanced when it comes to helping guys. So your original question was, what has been the common theme you've seen in coaching with guys? And I would say the common theme is more like the common solution. The common, solu- the common theme is isolation. Yeah. The men who are by themselves are the men who suffer the most. The men who do not have other guys besides them to achieve the task at hand suffer the most. Perfect example. When I was teaching preschool, there was this kid who was a really sweet kid, but he had a, a nasty streak. Na- he was the nastiest kid I've ever met in my life. He had this violence to him, a, a, a unnatural violence I've never seen before. He was three years old. And when he got mad, he would straight and he would grab kids. Mind you, he had a level of violence that was so unnatural. I one time he grabbed this girl by her head, by her hair and smashed her face against the wall. He had the nastiest, I, I've never seen anything like this, like this real demonic switch where he would get so violent. And when he was angry, his brain told him, commit the worst pain you can upon a person. I promise you, this sounds bad. If the parents would have known he was at the school, they would, he would have got kicked out. But the, 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 headmaster, the headmistress, she has such a compassion for Troubled kids, she would, you know, be very gracious with him. And that kid, I remember meeting his mom one day, and I realized that the kid had no dad at home. And so I would spend time with the kid, and, you know, I would talk to him. We would spend a lot of time together. And he got a lot better through the influence of just being around me. So from a young age, we all know the effects of fatherlessness in the homes of young children. But fatherlessness is, is also compounded in the teenage years, where if a group of a young man gets involved with the wrong group of guys and gets involved with the wrong gang, it also spirals him out of control. So what you see in every year of a man's life is that the men or the males who have the most support system of other great men along them are the ones that do the best. And the ones that have the least amount of those, those do the worst. So to me, the guys who come to my advice to most are guys in isolation who have no one to talk to, have no support system. And those are the ones that I constantly see 
constantly see suffering in their everyday lives. So what advice do you give them then? To me, the advice has evolved. I would, I would give them things I would do, places I would go to find like-minded individuals. And, and I, I would teach them how to you know, build connections and all these things. But what I realized is my life is unique. My life is really unique because I've never been void of that in any area of my life. Never. Okay. My dad was a Hall of Fame father. My friends from high school are some of my friends today, 15, 16 years later. I have friends in every season of life. I have amazing mentors who have been guiding me since 19 years old. They're still in my life today. I, I've, I, I've been blessed supernaturally with nothing but amazing people in my life. So my life experiences are, are, is, the, is the exact opposite. So when people are like saying, Hafiz, I, I want advice to get to where you are at, it's hard for me because I'm like, I know what got me here. It's the people that, that are around me. So that's my primary method of success. So without that variable, I can't, I can't re replicate my formula to anybody else. Yeah. And so that's what led me to create the new company, The Standard. Because what I realized is I need to, I need to create these things that I've had, like when the men are always asking me, where do I go to meet like-minded men? Where do I go to meet mentors? Where, where, where do I go to meet men who are similar to me? I realized that there was no answer to that. that there's no direct answer. I had my answers, right? Things that I would do, but for a lot of guys, it wasn't practical. And so to me, I saw, I saw a problem and I, and I provided a solution. And so it's evolved from you know, build it yourself to, hey, I built it myself and here's the opportunity to come be a part of it. It's strange, because not strange in a sense, but as I'm listening to you, you seem to have an awareness. Because everything you've said, 99% of people I've ever spoken to wouldn't be aware that actually the contrast and difference between myself and these guys is... I always had a father figure, always had a father, Hall of Famous father, great mentors, great this. Most people wouldn't see that connection as being the difference. They would just, sorry, they just give them a formula, do this. A hundred percent. So I love, which, I love where you're going. I, I love advice. I'm a big advice guy. People that I love the most give the best advice. What I realized is online advice is good, but it lacks nuance. Like I'm always obsessed to like when I was trying to build my podcast out, I was very curious to how did other people build a successful podcast? Because for a lot of people, it was a different story. Like, let's go, let's use a person that I'm like a big fan of, like a Gary Vee. Yeah. By the time Gary Vee started his podcast, he was already had a million subscribers, a million followers on Twitter. He's already a celebrity, but he had a book deal with whatever Penguin Random House or Simon Schuster, whatever it is. So a lot of successful podcasts are built by individuals who already have big platforms. Another example is the Nelk, Nelk Boys podcast, Logan Paul's podcast. Yeah. Those are really big podcasts nowadays. But those people were mega stars before the podcast started. So to me, like that, their podcast path is not relevant to mine because I didn't have a million subscribers or followers starting my podcast. So when it comes to advice, there's so much nuance to it. 
So one of the things I pride myself in or I try to do is I want to give the best advice possible. The most relevant, practical, nuanced advice to each individual. It's complicated. And I, I love what Dr. Peterson talked about. He said, for me to give you advice, I need to spend at least 10 hours hearing your story to, re to really craft this piece of advice that's relevant to you. So when people ask me to do it in five, 10 minutes, it's almost impossible, but I try my best, right? So you're right. So when I'm, when, like men are always asking me for advice. And I realize that there's so many variables that work for me that will not work for you. And so 100,000%, the community aspect is a game changer. People, people take it, people, I don't think people realize how serious it is. And, and yeah, so I definitely do see that a lot of advice, which is why, you know, a lot of the red pill stuff I, I despise so much, mm -hmm. it, lacks, it lacks so much nuance. Um, and when you really see the multiple variables in somebody's life, you realize that what, what, what worked for Jack doesn't work for Jill. And also you realize that when someone's complaining about X, Y, and Z, it's really because A, B, and C is, is negatively affecting him. And if you take care of those variables, X, Y, and Z goes away simultaneously. Yeah, I mean, the red pill community is um, it's becoming a little bit too tribal. You know, yeah. it, it shifted from good advice, look, guys, level up, do this. His, his, you know, like his, his a set of rules, procedures, plans, whatever. Let's join together to. There's enough hate in the world. We don't need to encourage more. You know, we can encourage. Look, guys, have boundaries. Have your own standards, and then it's um, le leave it at that. It's become a little bit too, for for my for my liking, for my taste. It's it's become a, a bit too tribal, and a bit too, you know derogative towards the opposite sex you know 100 yeah, percent. it's it's um it it's without getting too lost in the sauce to me it's it's just it's just modern feminism for men yeah no i agree I'd you agree. know like you gotta think about how how did feminism start feminism started out of out of a good place and mm -hmm. there was it was there was legitimate things that women had problems with you know the right to vote there's legitimate things the right for work there's, there's legitimate problems that started the movement but then it evolved, and now you see what feminism is today. It's nothing like, you know, it's misandry. It's it's, it's victim mentality. It's it's, yeah. it's everything but what it was intended to be. And so, I say very similar things about the red pill movement. It, it, it may have started from a good place, opening men's eyes to the truth about society and about the world, but it's 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 evolved the way feminism has evolved as well. And and so, to me, I think it's so important that guys have nuance in their perspective, men and women alike, because um, I just see a lot of, a lot of advice going out today is really destructive for the lives of men and women. Well, it's, uh, yeah, no, I, I agree completely because when I first kind of discovered it a few years ago, it, it was much more focused on how are you being a better man? Mm -hmm. And um, the, the, one of the peer people that I listened to the most when it comes to calling out men somebody i know that you know is the late kevin samuel he he could be brutal to men you know if people think he was brutal to women you should have heard him talk to men sometimes like mm -hmm. you know you you've got to have some standards yourself but yeah again that that wasn't sort of where i planned on this to go it's just it's, it's just a huge topic so how did you and chris meet how did it come together um, so chris and i met in 2016 when i was trying to move to Houston. I had a friend who um, I did um, college ministry with in, 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 in Alabama. 
who uh, who knew who knew of Chris, and when I needed a place to stay, because I had a job interview in Houston, he was able to connect me with him. Okay, and I take it, it was just two minds kind of shared the same ideas. Yeah. So what happened was, um, you know, Chris and there's a bunch of guys who lived in that same house together. That's why the, the show was called The Roommates. We all were actual roommates at that time. And um, yeah, there's a bunch of guys. We all lived in the same house together, and we all had very similar worldviews and we we had a, we had ideas that we felt like would be good for society and then we you know decided to put those ideas out and share with the world okay and here's something i wanted you to explain um and i actually had this saved on my youtube watch later list because i heard you say this a while ago the thief of joy is comparison yeah yeah no no that's good i mean to me, I think sometimes people don't realize how much of the advice I give others, I give to myself. And for those who know me, well, I was literally talking to Zuby about this the other day. Those who know me the best know I'm harder on myself than I am with anybody else. Only people realize that, that nuance to me. Um, but comparison is the biggest thing I struggle with the most in my life. And... When you compare yourself to other people, you're you're miserable because you're 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 looking at the path that God has somebody on, and you're viewing it as superior than the path that you have on, and you view yourself as lesser than as another individual, and and that game is never ending because you will never have the same path as anybody else. It's a never ending game of misery. So so yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. I spoke to Zuby on here a few months ago. He, he had lots of insights that kind of blew me away. Um, so how does that work for you now? Because it's it's very difficult not to feel comparison if you're chasing after something or you haven't even started on a purpose and you don't know what it is. You you, you always look around for some sort of mentor who's miles away from you, who you may never attain even a conversation with, but you you can't sometimes help but dream, oh, one day I'd like to be like the roommates. One day I'd like to be like Joe Rogan or, you know, Paul, Logan yeah. Paul or, you know, any, any of those. It's, how do you... Because one of the things about comparison is it can also drive you to motivate because I, one of the things I always talk about on podcasts and in my coaching is everybody has a blueprint that you can roughly follow. There's some habit ritual guidelines and if you you look at all of these people that you would assume to be successful by by wherever you define success that there is a blueprint and they've only followed somebody else's somebody had already always has set a bar that then allows somebody else to surpass them which yeah so i love the nuance i mean everything is nuanced right yeah everything is nuanced and um the biggest thing that i thought about is there's healthy comparison and, and, and unhealthy comparison, right? So healthy comparison is, all right, I want to be making a livable wage. I can't live off my money. Let me look around to everybody around me and see the, those that are making a livable wage, how much are they making a year? Cool. They're making 45000 I'm making thirty five. Let me aspire for 45 so I can have a livable wage. You compared yourself to other people, 
to now strive for what is good for self, right? So there is this healthy comparison, which to me is also inspiration. That is healthy comparison. It's inspiration, right? Then the unhealthy comparison is uh, is very co- interesting concept because it's actually a commandment in the Bible that most people don't even know about. And it's this idea of thou shalt not, or you should not covet. Yes. Most people are not aware of the concept of coveting and coveting is this unhealthy desire for what is not yours. Yes. That's different than inspiration. I can look at so-and-so's car and say, man, I desire to have a car like this one day. Or I can look at someone's car and say, man, I want that car right now and I deserve that car and, he, and, that, and I should be riding that car. And if I had my way, I'd rip that car key from his arms and take this car. Like, there's this healthy, unhealthy balance. And so I think comparison, when it becomes coveting, that's when you become miserable because it's sinful. And what happens is people don't realize sin is not like, don't do something because it makes God mad. Is no, don't do something because it's, it's going to tear at part of your soul. Murdering isn't just bad because you're, you're, you're making God mad and ending someone's life. Murdering is bad because it ruins your soul. So the unhealthy comparison, the, co- the coveting, ruins your soul and it ruins your peace. And that's why people end up so miserable when they're doing it. There's something that you, you said there about coveting, which reminded me of you reap what you sow, which I've spoken to people about before, which is often misunderstood. It, it, is, it doesn't mean karma in the way that people think it does. It actually means how you invest in yourself is what you will get in return. And back then, the language was for farmers and things like that. So the more you invested in your communities, the more you invested in crops, the more you invested in your livestock, the more, and it literally, it's, a, it's almost the original self-help quote. It, the more you invest in yourself, the more you will get a return. Mm. Yeah. To me, that's how that's I've always hard. understood you reap what you sow. Yeah. No, uh, I, definitely. I, you know. Definitely. And, and, and I, think, I think to me, the, the, the difference is also you reap what you sow in the time that you is meant to be reaped. What I mean by that is certain seeds grow in different seasons and different timing. If I sow an oak seed, I can't ex- reap. If I sow an oak seed, I can't expect to reap an oak tree in a day. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. So I I some, that- I'm smiling twice. I'm sorry. I have this blog and somebody, I used to write blogs and somebody asked me recently, what's my favorite blog? And my favorite blog is one I wrote about growing tomatoes because mm. it taught me to be patient for four months, four or yeah. five months. Cause I had to tend to them, water them. And at the end of it, I got got this amazing crop of tomatoes. And it was, and I I did this for the first time. I'm 47 now. And I must have did this when I was about 40. I was like, do you know what? I'm going to grow tomatoes. I've never done it before. And it's so simple. But it captivated me for an entire sort of end of spring right up to autumn. As these plants, once they started to flower and give me tomatoes, it never stopped. And I wrote a blog on it. And to this day, it's still the favorite thing I I ever wrote about. And it and it's just that reap what you sow concept. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And and to that point, I can't sow oak seeds and see you sowing 
tomato seeds and get mad because you're reaping your tomato fruits or your tomato vegetables in four months while my oak seed has barely grown. Yeah. Unhealthy comparison. Yeah, chopping. Yeah, I like yeah. It's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because once you start having these conversations about the, the Bible and the quotes and the commandments, it's how they are all linked. Like, like you said, it's the nuances of life that, that make the differences. But the differences are huge once you understand the concepts. 100%. 100%. So the, the last thing, I'm getting conscious. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, I want to talk to you about the clothing line. The suits, because I love a fine suit. You know, was that uh, a kind of a lifelong goal, or was that something you, you that came about later? Yeah. So, so the clothing line um, is is the community I was talking about early with the standard, because um, what I realize is I'm always looking at what is the best piece of advice for helping guys, and so. When I was on tour with Stefan Speaks in 2019, we would have to wear suits for all of uh, all of the events. That was the first time in my life I actually started wearing suits like legitimately on a consistent basis. And I would I would see how people would treat me differently wearing the suits. And I thought about all the things that men desired in life. Respect from men, admiration from women, you know, um, treating with decency, all the things that guys would call me and complain that they're not having enough of. Whenever I would wear a suit, I would realize, oh, I'm giving that in abundance. And so suits kind of became like this, this, this hack to status, respect, and desire. And then, as well as it, when me and my guys would wear it together, there was a level of community as well as communal success that was given to all of us who were all dressed wearing suits. So it's kind of like this interchanging, it's kind of like this interchanging of, of status, right? It's like if you, walked into a bar with David Beckham yeah. because you both are together. They're going to view you as somebody because you just, because you're with him, your status elevates just by being in proximity with this individual. And so I realized that's what suits do when guys wear them together, it elevates the status of the, of each individual simultaneously. So it, it in, in, in like essence, it builds men up. It's to me the, the quickest cheat code, to increasing status as a man, wearing suits with your friends. So we would do this for all these years. And, and then I would, I would, I would say, man, I really want to incorporate all these things into one thing. I want to incorporate the community. I want to uh, uh, incorporate the improvement of status. I also want to incorporate the dressing well. And that's what led me to build the company, The Standard, which is luxury suit line that creates communities of extraordinary men. So to me, it's gotten to a point where, like I tell guys all the time, like the, the suits are just the, the front to what's yeah. actually being, being built. And that is 
how can I get the respect with, with a suit without a suit? And that's come from actually building yourself up with a community of like-minded men committed to excellence. Going back to what I said before, the biggest thing that men were dealing with is isolation. Um, and so, so yeah, so we've been, we've been doing that for the past couple of months and it's been a, uh, a real exciting process to, to have undertaken. I like, I just, I see the suits. I like suits. I like shirts, especially like shoes, especially if people know how to polish and clean them correctly. So they shine. Um, and which is a tip for lots of young men out there. Make sure you know how to iron a shirt because a crisp shirt looks crisp and of clean course. your shoes. It's the first thing people notice. Mm-hmm. maintain 100%. look after those shoes um one of the things i wanted you and I'm, I'm trying to think how to word this because it's talking to you I, I said to you earlier about that awareness you have so rather than like what advice would you give young men what would you ask them to try and be aware of hmm I would ask young men to be aware of one thing, and that is, do you have anyone in your life who is where you want to be in the future? Meaning, do you know anybody in your life who is who you want to be at 35, 45, 55, 60? Do you have anyone like that that you can actually call on the phone and talk to? Because when you don't have anyone like that, usually you're a guy without any aim or direction. And a lot of guys are not familiar or not aware of how much that lack of that individual hurts them. So I would tell men to be aware of that. Do you have anybody in your life who is where you want to be in the future? Uh, Two two more questions. Um, If you to, what do you do well? What have you done well? What have I done well? Yeah. I've tried. I like the simplicity of that. I like that. And, and, and it's, it's simple, but it's, it's, it's a real thing because I think a lot of people don't try. Yeah. You know, they don't, they don't genuinely try to make the world a better place. They don't try to improve themselves. They don't try to overcome their demons. A lot of people give up. And to me, I think trying has been the best the best thing i've done is i always try and um whether or not the effort is the best effort or results are the ones i want i always try Uh, last one and it's completely random and nothing like we've discussed if you could be anywhere anytime 
any any place any place in time what would you be driving and what music would you be listening to i'd be i'd be today i'd be i'd be living right now would it want to go anywhere other other time but today i would be driving a rolls royce um i would, would be driving the I always get confused. Yes. There's a Cullinan, there's a Phantom, and there's a, the Wraith. Yep. Driving the Rolls Royce Wraith. And the music I would be listening to probably would be a worship song by Carrie Joe called Blessings. Um, and it's a song about how God blesses you to be a blessing for your future generations. And, and to me, I think that song is, is, is powerful. The reason I chose today is because I, because I would never want to go back to any time in human history, especially in American history as a black person, first and foremost. Um, I think this is the best time in human history for those who are ambitious, successful, driven, successful, ambitious, driven, have great community, and, and desire guidance, and this is the best time, one of the best times. The reason I picked the Rolls Royce, because the Rolls Royce is symbolic too, for me, um, when you can afford it, it's symbolic. Doing, my, doing the work I'm doing is different. Um, doing the work that I'm doing, the Rolls Royce is symbolic to actually servicing humanity and reaping what you sowed. For me personally, not for everybody, but for me, it's symbolic to that. When you can genuinely afford it, that means I help so many men that the men willingly compensate me for my services and the services. So, so it's kind of like a somebody once said. I was reading this book about wealth, and he said, "For the righteous man, wealth is his gift from God for a service for humanity." The righteous man, and, like and that. what that means, and what that means is that if you are genuinely helping improve the lives of people. People willingly buy your products yeah, because they're buying it because it's helping their lives. It's giving them more value than they're giving you. They're buying something for $2.99, but it's ended up giving them $3,000 for value. Um, and so then obviously your product would be high demand. You have a high demand for a product. At the end of the day, the individual is going to be wealthy, because, but it's a byproduct of your service to humanity. So to me, the Rolls Royce is a byproduct of the service that's done for humanity. And like I said, the, the worship song is symbolic to blessings, not just for not just for my generation, but for all generations of men to come. And that's, that's a beautiful place to end. Thank you very much for your time. I do appreciate it. No problem. Thank you so much for your excellent questions. It's cool. And uh, if you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, as always, please Give me a like, give me a subscribe, share the podcast, tell your friends. You'll be amazed what a difference it makes. And honestly, I really do appreciate it when people do that. I can't thank you enough. And also, please check out the Roommates podcast. I will drop the links into the description and check out the work that the guys do. It's incredible work. And as you can tell, Hafiz is incredibly passionate and driven and, again, Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. Appreciate it.